We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. here of setting the pace i'm joined by michael the j stands for jaris fachi fachi what's going on brother oh man i mean we got uh we got things heating up a little bit in free agency i mean we know with the new cba the pacers have to spend at least 90 percent by the start of the regular season so moves have got to be around the corner but until now alex we just wait absolutely torian prince the the timberwolves declined this option saw a lot of pacer fans tagging me what do you think about torian prince doesn't move the needle for me. I'll just be honest no. with you. Uh, let's just put it this way. He's like that second or third wave of signings that happens. Yeah. And I mentioned the other day that I was like, one of the other episodes that we did, I was like, Torian Prince probably going to get waived, non-guaranteed. And then he tweeted at Woj, like, thanks for the heads up. It's like, yeah. oh, man, I think we all knew you were getting waived here. Like, uh, were you the only guy who didn't? But yeah, one of the other players. Bad. Yeah, it was one of the other players, though, that will get Pacer fans going. Ham Reddish not getting a qualifying offer. So, you know, that's someone people used to be really into. I'm really not anymore. He's not at the top of my list. Uh, I think the Pacers should be, you know, setting their sights elsewhere. If in the end you take a flyer or whatever, but I don't even think there's going to be enough room for him at this point. Cam Reddish was a oh so one or two years ago to the Pacers type of move. Now, to be fair, the Pacers did have interest reportedly. So maybe they do take a flyer on them, fill out the roster if they end up making some trades or they have like a three-for-one type of thing. But we'll see what happens. I think that the Pacers are in a good spot where they're at. But no free agency talk today. We're going to have our last draft conversation just to kind of wrap everything up. We didn't really have a wrap-up with anybody that covered the draft, but Derek Murray is a good friend of ours. He's been on the show multiple times and does a great job covering the draft. And so we're going to get some great intel from him and kind of just, you know, 
get some behind the scenes stuff too on how the Pacers might view some of these guys and how long they've been viewing them. So I thought it was just a great conversation, Fudge. Oh yeah, Derek knows the ins and outs, and you'll hear at the end of the episode, Derek's already working on two drafts from now. So trust me, guys, he dove into this draft a long time ago and has been following it ever since. So you mm-hmm. can trust Derek's word, and he had some great things to say about the Pacers draft. Yeah, we talk about Jairus, we talk about Ben Shepard, we talk about Mojave King, we talk about Isaiah Wong, and we talk about Wong. Oscar Shibwe. So, I mean, we, and Isaiah Jackson. So we kind of go down the path a little bit there, and we talk about Ben Shepard's fit in that crowded backcourt, and uh, Derek had a pretty hot take there, too, about that crowded backcourt. So I think you guys are going to enjoy that. But with that being said, let's take a quick break, Fachi, and when we come back, we'll be joined by Derek Murray. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, everybody. Joining us now on Setting the Pace. He's been on the show several times before. The head of basketball at Cerebro Sports, Derek. How's it going, man? Welcome to the show. Alex, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me. It's uh, wrapping up another draft cycle, which is really fun. And I feel like Pacers fans got to be at least moderately happy. So thanks for having me on. No, no doubt about that. I think it felt like for the longest time that Jairus Walker was always going to be the pick for the Indiana Pacers, you know. You might have been able to talk yourself into Cam Whitmore, uh, maybe Taylor Hendricks. And then there was some people like myself that were very uh, excited about the idea of Asar Thompson here. But Pacers get the guy that they had been targeting, it felt like, for several months. Talk to me a little bit about Jairus Walker, uh, the Pacers' desires to draft him, and maybe how he fits in with this team. Yeah, Jairus to the Pacers felt like a fit, uh, felt like it was meant to be for months and months and months leading up to the draft. And then especially after the lottery, you know, Jairus is a guy whose versatility, um, his ability to be a good teammate and be a good student of the game while already being really good at this game, like is a separator. A lot of guys don't want to come in at work. A lot of guys, when they get to freshman or for their freshman year as a potential one and done, uh, they think they're God's gift to basketball. And like, sometimes that's okay. Like I kind of want my lead point guard to think he's God's gift to basketball as long as it's controlled. And Jairus understands how to balance like, I'm really good at this, but I'm not satisfied with where I am right now. That's why Houston was a perfect college fit for him. Those coaches were hard on him. They worked him hard, and he just continued to get better and better. So I think he's a locker room fit. I think he's a culture fit. Um, I think the city is going to love him. I think the state's going to love him. Um, you know, loyal guy who's just willing to put his head down and work hard and can also shoot the three, dunk, and block everything. So it really just works, um, I think, from a lineup perspective, uh, just an overall overall just culture and organizational fit. 
you know, for Jarris, I feel like everybody immediately goes to his defensive capabilities. And I think that in the role that he played at Houston, he played it very well. Then others like to look back at IMG and talk about the playmaking capabilities that he had and how there is a lot more to his game. From an offensive standpoint, can you speak a little bit more about what we might see on the next level? Yeah, so again, at Houston, he was he was allowed to do a lot offensively, but to an extent, not as much as he was in high school. So in our in our database of stuff, um, again, we have stuff on him going back to 2018, like City of Palms, you know, a lot of the high school stuff he's played in. Um, he was in the top 10 to 12th percentile as a performer in every single event he played in. The three ball was pretty erratic at times, so very streaky. He'd go one event where he'll shoot 40%, 50%. And then the next where he would go, you know, 16, he'd go one shooting 84% from the line and then he'd do another at 42. Uh, but what you'll give him from start to finish is that he rebounds well, especially on the offensive side and had 57 assists at Houston this year as well. So his decision-making on the ball, you know, it's not like he's going to be some you know guard or even, I don't think he's like a wing initiator type. Maybe he develops into that, um, but he made really good decisions, which in high school, he just wasn't asked to do a whole lot. So I think on the offensive side, you're getting a guy who you're not going to ignore as a three-point shooter. You know, sometimes at the NBA level, as long as you're good enough that they have to respect you, then you can make it work in your offensive flow. And that's what I think Jairus gives you as well as, um, again, as a passer, reading the floor, facilitator, he continues to get better. Yeah, I would say that the shooting was one thing that was kind of a concern from not just us, but people we talked to. Uh, during the draft cycle, trying to get their thoughts on him, especially comparing him to a guy like Taylor Hendricks, who shot the ball lights out this year at UCF. So I'm just curious, you know, you, you said it in your first answer that he's a guy that can shoot the three athletic, put the ball on the floor. Talk to me about that jump shot, because I know you just said there was inconsistencies there, but do you think that's part of his game that's going to translate to the NBA, that it won't be this huge liability out there that's a guy that just isn't really a threat? I do, because he's going to be willing to work at it. You know, when you have guys who shoot, 31 to 3% from three in college. Um, you know, they come in, they think, I don't need to get better. Or again, they have that mentality that it's just kind of ru going to rub people the wrong way. But one, they generally don't get picked at seven. So, or eight, you know, whatever, whatever number Patriots fan want to use today. <laughs> um, <laughs> but his work ethic, I think, is why I trust him to continue to develop. Looks like he was at 34% on, what, 93 attempts. That's enough volume for me to believe that it's real at 34%. You know, when you have guys in the draft who, like, I would rather have 34% on 93 attempts than I'm not going to call out a name, but I remember there was a guy in the 2020 draft that people are obsessed with as a, quote, shooter and had, like, 36% or 36 attempts on the year. I was like, dude, like, what are we what are we talking about? Like, there's not enough volume to just, like, to make any kind of definitive statement or projection here. So the fact that he was willing to take that many threes, I think was really something else, like something to monitor as well. So work ethic, already hitting 34% on good volume. Uh, I think he's going to be fine. Never going to be some 40% guy, but you're not going to be able to ignore him. You're, you're not going to just leave him in the corner um, and allow the defense to kind of do what they want. You know, one of the things that kind of got people a little bit cautious was when he was measured without shoes. Now, obviously, the game of basketball is played with shoes, but without it, it was about 6'6 and change, with shoes about 6'8. He's got that 7'2 plus wingspan. Uh, from a rebounding perspective, an area the Patriots have suffered for years, and Jarris averaged nearly seven rebounds per game in college. How do you feel that he'll be, from a rebounding standpoint, on the next level in the NBA? 
I think he'll average about that same number because he knows how to use his body and that 7-2 wingspan super well. So, yes, there are going to be bigger guys on the floor, and he's going to have to find a way to compensate for that in some way, shape, or form. Um, I think people who look at him at six, you know, a quote, legit six, eight, yes, whatever word you want to use there, and maybe exaggerate in their mind to six, nine, can he play the center? That's where we need to be like, no. <laughs> That's where you kind of need to be. Stop it. Like, it's not that he can't, it's not that he's incapable, but like, that's just not going to be the role. I think you look at him as a four, maybe one day you you look at him as like a bulky three, almost. Again, he can dribble and pass a little more than people give him credit for. So four, three is kind of how I look at him if you want to, you know, put him into like traditional five positions. So I think the rebounding is going to be fine, um, mainly because of that length. Like he knows how to use it and he, he's he's got innate timing as well. Like his just sense and feel around the basket in the paint is really, really good. So he's not just like jumping, flailing around. Like some people just like kind of pointlessly just throwing his arms up. Like there's intent to everything and every movement he makes, uh, which is good. How do you think he'll be at guarding guys in the perimeter in the NBA? Because NBA speeds is definitely a lot quicker, uh, different rules in the NBA as well. So I'm just, I'm just curious, you know, because we've talked to some people that think he's more of a four that's, Probably, probably play a small ball five. And then you were just talking about he could maybe be a bulkier three. So I'm just curious, you know, I, I obviously saw him play pretty well defensively against some guards at Miami in the tournament. Um, one of the ones the Pacers drafted Isaiah Wong with the 55th pick, but just curious your thoughts uh, on how you think that defense translates against wing players in the NBA. I think he guards two through four pretty much his entire career. Cause I think he's flexible and mobile enough to defend the twos. You know, you're really fast point guards, you're pure speed guys. Uh, it's not a matchup I love. Um, I think the occasional five he can defend because he's so long. So, like, you know, if it's an actual seven foot, seven foot one guy, I don't really love the matchup. But if the other team is running a six nine, six ten center, um, who is more like traditional low post than he is like big mobile run the floor type. I think he can defend the five at times, but two through four is where I'm comfortable projecting. You know, the defensive side of things might not always be the sexiest thing. It might not end up on Sports Center. It might not get the highlights, but it's extremely important, especially for a Pacers team that really couldn't stop many last year. Uh, do you view Jarris Walker as having all-star potential in this league or more being able to play that defensive role very, very well? I think defensive role very well with offense enough to impact winning. I think to try to put an all-star label on a guy, like, again, you look at Adebayo coming out, it was, and I'm not going to call him similar, but it was a little bit of, hey, we see some skill. What does it develop into? All this stuff. Like, Adebayo is a decent bit taller than he is. Um, and Adebayo learned how to create for himself off the dribble. If Walker gets that down, now we're talking about a whole different echelon of player. Uh, but – at this point, I just don't necessarily see that. And, like, I don't know, probably not, like, all-star. But, again, he's a guy that is a really good third option for a team for, like, 12 years. Because <laughs> I think he's going to be pretty durable, too, with that body. That's where yeah, it that kind of feels that he's in behind Halliburton and Matherin at this time. So uh, I think that's kind of what the Pacers envision for now. So, and then, obviously, you got Turner there. So year one, I don't think they're going to have much depending on what happens with Turner maybe eventually he can move up to a, a third option I just wanted to ask about Ben Shepard now because Ben Shepard 
26th pick of the draft. There were some questions that we got. Is that who we think the Pacers wanted to take at 26? Um, they were very adamant about keeping that pick because we saw them trade picks 29 and 32. And I thought, okay, they probably have someone that they're eyeing here at 26 and they think can be in that range. I was I was a fan of Olivier Maxson's Prosper, but he went at 24. So uh, Ben Shepard was the pick. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on Ben Shepard and how much of the Pacers like Ben before the draft started? Shepard's a guy that I didn't pay a ton of, t- of attention to early in the year. Um, had a couple teams I work with, you know, asked me to do some homework on him of, hey, check out Ben Shepard, Ben Shepard, Ben Shepard. And I was like, I don't understand why these teams are, you know, I guess trying to get on this. Like, I just don't hear his name very much. Started doing some homework and you just start liking everything you hear. <laughs> like <laughs> everything you hear from Belmont, everything you hear from his high school, the AU people, uh, the my buddies in Georgia who, again, cover grassroots at a high level and scout, like nothing but positive things to say about this guy. So now you've got nothing but positive intel. A six five six six kid who can shoot cover off the ball. It's like, all right, now we're talking. Like, there's there's a place for this kid. So I I start thinking, mid second, early second. You know, let's see what happens. And then about ten days before the draft, it's like every single team had him late first. And I was like, whoa, like what? Like every team I was talking to was like, yeah, you know, twenty five to thirty. I was like, man, he has this process. The 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 pre draft was so good for him. Um. I believe that the Pacers had their eye on him for a long time. I don't know, to your point, like there were some guys once you hit 21, but there were a handful of guys on that board where I could be talked into Pacers being interested. So I think at 26, he's good value. I think there were a lot of teams uh, soon after the Pacers that were pretty upset they took him. So I think Pacers fans should be feeling pretty good. Um, Again, he's going to bring shooting. He's going to bring consistency not some highlight real dunker, not, you know, going to be a top 10 all the time, you know, score, you know, big show Bodhi plays, but like, it's just going to be rock solid. He's going to knock down his shots. He's going to make good decisions. Um, and in the role you need him to play, like that's all you need. You know, what I loved is seeing the improvement of his shooting all four years at Belmont improved by between four to 5% each and every year. Um, just really accurate. Uh, but also made an all-conference defensive selection. Now, obviously, being at Belmont, you're not playing in, you know, say, like a Power 5 conference or anything of that sort, but do you feel that the defensive capabilities can at least be there from a so-so defensive standpoint, or is it more of a, hey, look, you're going to get you're gonna get good shooting, but you're, you're going to get defensive liability? So he has tremendous hands and coordination. If you look at his college numbers, his blocks per season were three – four, six, and five. He's just not going to block many shots. His steals went from 13 to 28 to 41 to 44. And that's where it's like, okay, this guy's hands and coordination when you watch the tape, they're really good. Like he just generally doesn't miss the ball. Um, Didn't foul a whole lot. Average, what was it, two a game, something like that. Like just doesn't put himself in bad spots. So even when he gets beat, again, by like high-level quickness um, or maybe guys that are significantly more like vertically gifted than him, his coordination in his hands are going to be allowed to – or are going to allow him to make up for that. Uh, I think it'll be an average average to – you know, a, yeah, average defender on the NBA floor. It's not going to be a liability, but he's not going to be, you know, a lockdown guy either. 
And when you look at this Pacers roster, it feels like it's kind of crowded in that backcourt because just two years ago, they drafted Chris Duarte. He dealt with a lot of injuries his rookie season. And then the next year as well, sophomore season, they traded for Buddy Heal, drafted Benedict Mather and Andrew Nimhard last year. Where do you think, you know, Ben Shepard kind of fits in with this team? Because it just feels like there's a lot of overlap at that position. I hate to leave Pacers fans hanging. Uh, a lot of those names you just said, or at least, you know, one or two of them, I don't think they'll be in the way by the time the season rolls around. So I think Shepard is a guy who, you know, not going to be a starter, but I think he gets some back-end rotation minutes. Um, what the Pacers have done well is they've surrounded some of their bigs with guys who can shoot. <laughs> and you can never have too much. With him having positional size at – so he listed 6'6". I don't remember what he measured, like, without six, his six. shoes. Yeah. So he's a guy that I think, you know, occasional minutes at the three. When you have a guy who can play tough defense, who can shoot, and has that size – Again, I, I've, I've told people before, living in OKC, I watched Billy Donovan run these three-guard lineups with guards from 5'11 up to like 6'7. I think the Pacers have themselves in a spot to where you can run all these guys out there together. And that's where I'm not really, you know, worried. So you run any three-guard combination, Jairus, and, you know, pick whatever big you want to say will be there by the beginning of the year. And I think it works. You know, Ben Shepard, one of the older players in this draft, upperclassmen will say more of a friendlier term. There's only a few of them that went in the first round. If the expectations aren't too much in year one, do you think the Pacers should have perhaps swung for someone with a little bit of a higher ceiling, maybe perhaps a Leonard Miller who ended up going right around, I think it was pick 33 or so? Or do you think, hey, look, this is a team that had their eyes on them. They know what they're doing. They feel safe about this pick because the knock on Leonard Miller could be perhaps shooting. Well, you know exactly what you're getting out of a Ben Shepard, but the ceiling might be a bit lower. I think that 26 is right around the grade they would have had on him. And I think it's about what the league had a grade on him. So you feel very comfortable. And to your point, you feel safe taking him there. You feel like I'm probably not going to get hindsighted on this one. I'm not going to get told in three years, Hey, you idiots. Why did you take him there? Like it's a pretty safe pick. I do like Leonard Miller. I think at 26, he would have had to be. This is not any inside knowledge. This is just me talking. Like, I do think that at least had to be a discussion. Um, he and Jairus would have created a log jam together. I think by taking Jairus at seven, you eliminate yourself from taking Leonard Miller at 26. I think just looking at the board the way it was set up, that's that's kind of my inclination on on probably why Leonard wasn't taken there. Because if you're if you're Miller, you're going, well, dog, you just picked the other really good versatile four in front of me. Like, what kind of lineups are we running here? You know, so mm-hmm. that's that's just my initial thoughts. Yeah, and I've actually heard some pushback from that from fans because we were pretty like, well, we we were very interested in getting more forwards, um, and Leonard Miller like. I'm, I've been very high on him since last year. I thought this would be a good guy to take a flyer on in the second round last year. And there he was again. So, you know, I think, I think he is considerably farther away to giving you even bench minutes than mm-hmm. Jarris or Ben Shepard are. Yeah. Like and Miller the, showed a lot of improvement. The game is still pretty quick for him right now. Gotcha. So like, I, I think, I still think he's like, you're looking two and a half, three years away. If I'm projecting before you're like super meaningful minutes here. Like yeah, Ben Shepard probably comes in and is like your ninth man, like day one. Wow, that's interesting because I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, how are the Pacers going to figure out this rotation? Because there's so many guys, and it's hard to project when you don't even go through free agency or trades yet. Because we know this Pacers team's not 
finish making moves because they want to get better and they want to try to make the playoffs next year, get these young guys some experience. But, uh, you know, let's just talk about that trade that happened between the Indiana Pacers and the Washington Wizards on that draft night because we're doing a live podcast. We have everything turned off notification-wise, and we see Bilal Koulibaly's name show up on the screen at 7. We were completely stunned. and There was no mention of a trade at the point on the broadcast. And I'm like, okay, do the Pacers just dip their toe in this pool of, uh, you know, excitement, you know, mystery box type of thing? Not usually what the Pacers do. So when they end up making that trade, what were your overall thoughts on that trade? And uh, were there any other offers out there potentially that the Pacers may have turned down? I cannot express how quickly I popped up off the couch and called people on both my phones at the same time when I saw Bilal Koulibaly with a Pacers logo next to it at seven. <laughs> I mean, I popped up, was like, what in the world? What is happening? I was like, what is happening? I got a phone to both ears. Who lied to who was lying? Like who didn't do their job? <laughs> um, I believe that there were a handful of teams trying to go to seven to get Koulibaly. Um, that's my gut. I think they had a handful of offers. Obviously, if you only got two super future seconds, those offers weren't great. Um, I think what worked is they could still get their guy at eight. Like the Wizards, I mean, now we know it's apparent. Like they wanted, they felt like someone else was coming to get Koulibaly at seven. So I think, you know, the Pacers, you call the Wizards, you're like, yo, are you taking Jarris? No. Great. Then I'm happy to switch with you because I'm still going to get my guy. So shout out to the Pacers front office for, again, to a fan, it may seem stupid, a 28 and 29 second round pick. Look, if either of those end up between 30 and 35, consider it a first with contract flexibility. 31 to 35 are the sweetest picks in the draft, in my opinion. They're the sweetest, mm. both a team and a player perspective. You get a first-round talent because at least three teams in the first are always going to reach based on their fit, and you're going to get talented guys. So who's not to say that those may end up be like amazing picks down the road? So you still got your guy. You added assets. You had a great Thursday night. So props to them. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about the assets that they are accumulating. And over the last few years, we've seen you know pay off between Andrew Nimhard at pick 31, or this year they're able to turn 29 and 32 into a, a first for next year. But one of the deals they weren't able to pull off was when they were targeting Cam Whitmore, someone who at one point seemed to be projected anywhere between five to eight, ends up falling to pick 20. Now we've heard various things. It could have been medical reports. It could have been his coach actually kind of bad mouthing him a bit. What was your initial reaction seeing Cam Whitmore fall that far? And would that have been the home run draft for the Indiana Pacers to get Jarris Walker and Cam Whitmore? I thought it would fall to the mid-teens. Our our projections and conversations had him anywhere from 15 to 18. Wow. Um, I thought the Jazz would take him at 16 when he was on the board. The Haw Hawks and Jazz at 15-16 were the ones where I was like, okay, I think we've hit the floor here for Whitmore. Uh, there was a lot of smoke coming out maybe like a month before the draft that Houston really liked Whitmore at four. So if you're a Rockets fan, I mean, dude, you get the two guys you really wanted more than anybody in this draft at four and 20 and didn't have to move. Like, that's crazy. That's Christmas. Um, <laughs> so there was no way. Like, even if the Pacers wanted to trade up to get him, so the Heat – the Heat had been locked in on Hawkes for a while. They were not moving. Like you would have had to gone to a, like a stupid offer to go get that 18th pick. 
the Warriors were locked in on pods for a long time. He was never going anywhere else. So you'd have to give up some stupid assets to go get 19. And then 20, that was like the number five player on their board. So they weren't moving either. So I, you know, for any fans who say, oh, we should have been able to trade up and get him, we this, that, and the other. I just don't think the front office could have. I I don't see a logical, mathematical path to trade up and get Whitmore. So I, if anybody's looking at him, it's like, oh, we should have, could have, you know, done this. I would honestly, I'd ask you as a non-Pacers fan, I'll speak on y'all's behalf here. Everybody chill out. I think the front office did as good as they could have. Like, I just genuinely think those teams were like, we're not moving. Call someone else. So I just don't think it was ever a possibility um, just based on the, the board shook out, on how the board shook out. Yeah, I think the teams that maybe made the most sense that you felt like you could have traded up with were a New Orleans at 14 just because their roster is so loaded right now with so much young talent that they can't even get to see the court. And then maybe the Lakers just because the Pacers have had some names very much in rumors to the Lakers. Could you have packaged 26 and one of your guys to take on one of their contracts and get 17, get Whitmore? Would that have been a smart move for the Pacers? I don't know, but... I think those were the two name or the two teams that made the most sense to me. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I would love to hear if you thought maybe one of those two teams could have potentially moved out. I don't think the Pelicans were ever moving. The Lakers are the one spot. I agree. The Lakers are the one spot that I think if you're trying to jump all those teams, 17 is where you would have gone. I just Lakers front office, man. I never know what they're thinking. I don't know. They might have. They might have been like, "Give me all your future first. Like, they probably I mean, were. <laughs> yeah, they might probably asked for the house. But no, I do agree. Looking at the board, seventeen feels like the only spot where, like, if you could slide in, that's where it was. Well, yeah. Real quick, if they would have been able to trade up to seventeen to get Whitmore, how far do you think Cuchifino falls? Twenty-one. The Nets. I think the Nets. I think the Nets would have taken them with one of those. Yep. Him and Clowney I think probably. That, I, think, I think the Rockets would have taken either Clowney or Whitehead. Gotcha, gotcha. I, okay. I still think Hockey, I think Hawkins was still 18. I think yep. Brandon Pachinski was still 19. But I think the Rockets would have taken they would have bet on a young developing big and Clowney, or they would have bet on the, the AAU and high school Montford pedigree of Dariq, even with the injury. I gotcha. I don't think the Rockets would have passed on either of those. Nets would have taken whoever stayed, and then I think plus Hutchfino, because he would have been the best player on the board. Right, that's what I was curious because you know the Lakers took him at seventeen, and I'm trying to figure out how that fit's going to work. But you know, it's uh, I was just curious because Hutchpino, Indiana guy, so I thought it'd be interesting yep. to kind of see that hypothetical. Anyway, Fachi, go ahead. Man, I love those back-to-back picks from Brooklyn. I think getting Noah Clowney, Derek Whitehead, especially given that it was the Brooklyn doctor that did the surgery on Derek Whitehead, so I feel like they have the inside intel that everything's going to be all right there. But what was the biggest surprise pick that you did not have on your board for me? And I think Alex as well. Jet Howard to the Magic at 11 blew my mind. But I would like to hear from you. What was that surprise for you? Yeah, Jed Howard. Jed Howard at 11 is the one where I said, okay, the the board has been shook. If What are we doing now? Like <laughs> That was the other one where I popped up. Where I popped up on the phone, I said, uh, what are we doing now? Like, what do we need to tell people? Because I did not think Grady Dick was going to be here. I did not think Grady Dick was going to be on the board still. Like, now now it's weird. So I think that's the one. Uh, let me see. Omax had that late push. I'm not necessarily shocked he went 24. Uh, 
I would say Sasser. Like, I had a late round grade on Sasser. I think I am personally shocked that he went round one. So I yeah. think if I had to pick another one, that would be that would be the guy. Like, I love it. I just didn't think someone would do it. Yeah, he's a, a really good player. I think he could be the Andrew Nimhart of this draft class uh, in terms of, like, impact right away. And I think the Pistons are an interesting team for him. Feels like they got a lot of guards there too, so I don't know. I don't know. It just felt like a weird trade up for them, but I think for them to trade up to get him, he's probably going to have some kind of significant role with them, whether that's the backup point guard or whatnot. But uh, all right, so obviously Pacer fans are still trying to figure out who Mojave King is a little bit. Uh, Isaiah Wong as well. These are their two second round picks. I don't need you to elaborate on these guys as much as the first round guys because they're probably not going to see the court for the Pacers that much, but. Maybe in summer league, maybe in the G League, we'll see them. Uh, give me your thoughts on both those players. Mojave King has been in Australia for quite some time. Played 30 games uh, in 20 and 21 in the NBL, 26 games in 21-22 in the NBL, um, and then played 16 games in, oh, excuse me, 26 and then 16 for another team. He's never had statistically or efficiently, like, the huge popping numbers of like, oh my goodness, this guy does X, Y, or Z at an elite level. But he's a really good athlete. Um, he's strong and he's bouncy. He's explosive. He moves well. And he just continues to get better. So I don't, I think he's a guy that, you know, you end up in the G League for quite some time. You try to figure out kind of what role he's going to play on an NBA floor. Um, consistent career 33, 34% shooter. I mean, per season, he's 30. Let's see. Yeah, 34, 34, 34. Uh, and then when he came over with the G League, 32-7. So at various levels of competition, he kind of stays the same. So I think he'll remain in the G League for a while. But he's a guy who could crack the rotation probably in year two or three because even when he struggled, he's been playing against adults for a long time, both in the States and in Australia. So he's not afraid of high-level competition, which I like. Okay. What about Isaiah Wong? I'm curious to see. He's the one where I go, hey, the Pacers got a lot of guards. Yeah. <laughs> we got a lot of guards here. Again, a G League guy. Wong, um, his ability to just put the ball in the hole from both the rim and from three this year was really special, along with his leadership at Miami. Like a lot of people really spoke to this guy became a leader. You know, early on in his career, it was, um, is he going to go pro early? Is he too good to be here? Does he transfer? You know, all this good stuff. And over time, it was like, man, he bought in here. He bought in to helping the young guys develop. He bought into, like, shouldering some of the leadership responsibility as the team looked and tried to make a push in the NCAA tournament. So I think you're getting a guy that will work hard. I think at a bare minimum, he makes your other guards better, which I think is a super underrated thing to pick for in the back end of the second round. Like, the number of guys who excel and succeed as NBA rotation guys – from 45 to 60, it's just not many. Like, I'm I'm a fan of either take a stupid high upside swing like Amani Bates, like just go for it, man. I'm like, because if it works, like this is just tremendous value. Or you take a guy who at practice, people just like don't want to play against. Mm-hmm. I loved Javon Carter coming out of his draft. I didn't think he'd ever be an NBA West rotation Virginia guy. I didn't think he'd ever be a rotation guy. But you know what? He's going to make your practices living hell for every guard who comes to your organization. Now, Wong is not like defensively Juwan Carter, but he's fast, he's strong, he's confident. He can put his shoulder and head down and get to the rim. 
He can shoot off the dribble. Don't go under on the pick and roll. And I just think he makes everybody better. You know, if people get hurt, I think he's a guy that because of his maturity and age, um, if we want to call it, again, upperclassmen, if we want to sound nicer, I think he's a guy that spot here and there can get some minutes. So there is a logjam of guards, but there's a lot to like, um, you know, even outside of just the skill. Like he does a lot of things right. My God, I love Javon Carter. Being a West Virginia alumni, it was awesome watching him go to work, win back-to-back defense as a player of the years uh, in college. Now, speaking of the only thing worse than being uh, an upperclassman in this draft was being an upperclassman big. And one of those was Oscar Shibway, who ended up being undrafted. The Pacers signed him to a two-way contract, a former national player of the year, two-time rebounder, uh, you know, leading college rebounding. What were your thoughts on the fit of Shibway on a two-way deal for the Pacers? Yeah, I mean, I probably would have drafted him like late 30s, <laughs> just like personally. Um, again, first time I saw him, he was playing with West Virginia. Uh, saw him in Stillwater, drove up to see West Virginia, Oklahoma State. There was a loose ball where an Oklahoma State guard dribbled off his foot, West Virginia defender, dove, slapped it down to the other end of the floor. And I saw Sheboy, I was sitting on the floor in the corner, and I saw him sprint across the floor. And I was like, my God, this guy has some of the lightest feet I have ever seen for a kid this big. Started doing homework. Oh, yeah, well, he grew up playing soccer. Like, okay, and you can see that in his feet. Learned how to rebound, hungry, you know, can score at the rim, you know, in spurts. I don't think it's going to be, you know, an NBA thing. He's not going to score a whole lot. But for for him to go undrafted, out of all the guys undrafted in this class, he probably would have been my first call. Like, he probably would have been the one where I'm like, that dude, you, again, at a minimum, you think Miles Turner wants to practice against that guy? No one's going to want This dude's a no. man. No one wants to see Oscar. <laughs> like, I don't want to – you don't want to hit him like, ever. So I think he's a guy that does end up in the rotation at some point. This this league, even with the way fouls are called, is extremely physical. And I think a lot of people don't understand. Like, dude, it is – these are big old boys. People get hurt, and that's okay. Um, I think eventually Oscar sees some minutes. So I love him as an undrafted guy. Love it. Very interesting. I I said that there's a chance he outplays Isaiah Jackson in the summer league for the Pacers this year. Um, you know, Isaiah Jackson, I, I'm curious your thoughts on him because I know this is a couple of drafts ago was a very shocking pick to me that the Pacers took him, especially with the roster they had at the time. And now with the roster they have now, like he could be the backup five. He could be the third string five. He's got a ton of balance. I've, I've tried to talk to people about him a little bit and it's hard to come up with the right definition, but Sometimes I think, you know, he's a basketball player with athleticism, but I also think he's more of an athlete that plays basketball instead of a basketball player with athleticism. So weird way of saying that. I just I just think he's an athlete first, a basketball player second. But I'm curious your thoughts on his game, what you've seen so far from him in the first two years of his NBA career, and how you think that projects long-term for Isaiah Jackson. I liked him coming out of that draft. I thought he went a little bit higher than I expected at – I had to pull it up because I couldn't remember where he went. 22? Yeah. Um, I mean, looking back, again, you hate to hindsight like a front office, but, I mean, you had Garuba on the board, Quentin Grimes, Bones Highland. Those are guys where I'm like, ooh, those are those are hard guys like not to take. Um, but, again, he's so bouncy and so athletic. I was sitting underneath the goal at Summer League when Jackson, his rookie year, went on. How, was it that he had a ton of blocks in one game? Yeah, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I was sitting underneath the goal. I was like, wow, this is the greatest number 22 pick in the history of the NBA. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is this is crazy. Um, I'm not going to act like I have watched every Pacers game to know how he has done the first couple years of his career. He's a guy that was just raw enough coming out of Kentucky. I think he's an athlete that has to learn still the nuances of basketball. Um, I would not count him out. I wouldn't want to get rid of him. I wouldn't want to move him. But if he cannot put on, again, back to, this is a super physical league, even though the fouls can be ticky-tack sometimes. you got to put some meat on them bones. You do. you got to be heavier. Um, I would love to see he and Shibway play together. Like, I don't know. You guys tell me. Was Jackson run as the four very often? Never. <laughs> Five. Never. Yeah. Okay. I would love to see him be able to stretch the four floor, put him at the four, push Shibuya at the five. Just run them together. We've we've been asking for that. You're either gonna you're either gonna get jumped over or you're gonna get beat up. <laughs> well, we've been asking for that with him and Miles. Like just let him and Miles play like a few minutes together at the NBA and they don't do it. They did play him and Jalen Smith together a little bit, but they kind of had Jalen playing more of the four and Isaiah playing the five. I think probably more because of the rim protection, even though Jalen's a decent rim protector. He's just not yeah. the same uh, blocker that uh, Isaiah is. But anyway, Bachi, any more questions from you? Yeah, like I would just say for Isaiah Jackson, I mean, the athletic ability, it's so there. I mean, it, immediately we saw, hey, we haven't had a guy that can catch lobs like this. It could jump out of the building, but we haven't seen that improvement on his jump shot or anything of that sort now going into year three. Still don't really know if exactly what he is but my last question i would just say in terms of you know another guy that the talent was there but just too raw gg jackson falls to pick 45 would have been you know arguably the number one recruit coming into college this year were you a little bit shocked that someone didn't roll the dice on him earlier than pick 45 he's probably a top 20 maybe top 15 talent in the class pure basketball um, this is about where most people had him falling. Okay. Um, I'll go easy on the kid. It's uh, just some not great stuff coming out of the Intel calls. That's all. Um, Grizzlies know that. Uh, and I think they're, I, I hope they get the best out of him. Like even Kleinman in his press conference addressed some of that stuff. He is another one similar to Amani, where at a certain point, you go, dog. Like, were it, I mean, for me, it's like, Yo, we're a pick like 37 and Gigi Jackson's on the board. <laughs> I know we're going to have to do some coaching here, but if it clicks, we're going to get five-year extensions and our job security is looking real good. So uh, it just depends. It depended on how much Intel and how good the Intel was that teams were getting uh, on him out of school. But I thought 45 was, you know, one hand, it's like, I thought he would go around there. When you watch him play, it still feels crazy low. So, like, I don't understand some of the maybe the draft and stash. Um, I think it was uh, Vucevic went forty-two. Yeah, mm -hmm. especially to Washington. Like, yeah, that's one where I'm like, man, like Gigi right there. Like, we we at least had to have a conversation here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but again, if it if it works and he's able to come in there and play ball, I mean, you've got a top fifteen, top twenty basketball talent in the class. So, like, major home run. Yeah, real quick on that, what what kind of hurt is, you know, Mojave King goes two picks later to the Pacers, looked as a draft and stash, doesn't get a two-way, you know, with the Pacers, and then Gigi goes two picks above. But that's someone that I would have loved for the Pacers to say, hey, you know what, we just picked up two additional second-round picks. We're talking about we got picked 47. Do you move up and say, hey, this is, this is someone that we're not even going to bring along 
you know, in the NBA this year, but he'll be in the G League all year. Would you have been in favor of that move for the Pacers instead of uh, a draft and stash? Maybe Isaiah Wong doesn't get that two-way. Or she would. I won't go into it, but no. I would not have traded for from 47 to 45 for Gigi Jackson. Okay. Um, I would have looked at Keontae Johnson or Jalen Wilson. Yeah, Jalen Wilson was a guy that I didn't – I did not see Jalen Wilson fall into 51. I yeah. thought his versatility – maturity, leadership, willing to play different roles. I thought he would go a little quick. I thought he would go before. I thought 51 was a little low for him. He's one where I see Mojave King, and I'm like, ooh. I'm like, Jalen Wilson was still on the board. Like, again, yep. I don't like to publicly uh, like try to second-guess decisions, but that's one where I'm like, man. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there was something on Jalen I missed coming out of Kansas. Like, maybe that's what it is. But I was like, oof. Like, that's probably a guy I take there. Either one of those two guys, yeah, I definitely had them higher on my board. I feel like Mojave King would have been there at 55. You could have easily just done the draft and stash at 55 and taken someone a little bit higher at 47. But, you know, maybe they just really liked Isaiah Wong and they knew he was going to be there. That's why they were just like, all right. I didn't have Isaiah Wong getting drafted. I don't think many people did. So I think that that's where their confidence comes in. It's like, hey, we're going to get him at 55. Yeah, because I was kind of surprised they kept it. I thought with them coming into it with five picks – uh, ended up trading to get four, pushing one out to next year. They were only going to take three guys, is what I thought. Mm-hmm. So the the drafting stash did make it a little bit easier to keep fifty five. But you usually don't usually don't see teams like the Pacers keep those kind of picks. They usually sell them to like. What is their plan with King right now? Drafting stash. Yep. You know I where think he might be playing in uh, Australia. I think NBL. NBL. Yeah. Going back to NBL. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So they got Wong. The only person they have confirmed for a two way contract is Oscar Shibway. Um, with them having three two ways now with the new CBA, I think speculation is Isaiah Wong, Kendall Brown will probably get the other two, which makes sense. Then you got a guard, a forward, and a center. So mm-hmm. that is kind of smart, I think, if you're looking at position wise for the Pacers. But, you know, it's it's an exciting time. I think at the end of the day, you got Jairus Walker, like you said, you got Ben Shepard. It, it's going to be fun to see how those guys develop and fit into this roster. And, and I think with their defensive ability, Derek, Carlisle is going to have a hard time keeping them off the floor because. That's how Nimhard got all the way from a third string guy that wasn't playing on night one to being a starter, you know, by the middle, uh, the beginning of the season, really. I mean, it was even before the middle of the season, like he was just fantastic next to Tyrese. And you've got multiple guys in this draft that you're just like not going to have to worry about in the locker room. Mm-hmm. They're all good. They're all good kids, which I think is, again, in Indiana, it's very important to the culture they're building. It's very important. I think you have three kids who, are going to enjoy playing together, should come in fairly seamlessly and not cause too many problems, which, look, every draft, you have a couple enter the locker room where it's like, whoa, this, we just dropped a bomb in here. <laughs> like, we now got a grease fire of emotions in this locker room, and how are we going to handle this? I think Indiana has successfully uh, avoided that, which is very important. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I, I just, the stories that we heard about Jarris Walker's character and then everything about just Ben Shepard just felt like you got nothing to worry about and you got two guys that are in those two specifically that are ready to get to work. And and that makes me excited. And then everybody around just that this team doesn't have that many veterans, but I feel like they're in a spot where these guys are ready to get out and get it together. They're a close knit group. And that's something that I feel like we've lacked the last few years where age wise, a little all over the place, didn't really know exactly who the leader was. Now I feel like everybody's falling under the leadership of Tyrese Halliburton. And I I love what I'm seeing with that. All right, Derek. Well, we're going to wrap it up here, man. I, 
really appreciate your time and, and coming on and giving us some great intel on just the Pacers and these picks. And we could have talked about other things that happened in the draft, but I felt like with it just being so fresh, great to kind of do a recap with you here. Maybe we can have you on here in the next month or so. Uh, and maybe look at the draft for next year, kind of some players that are keep an eye on. But um, go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you out on social media and what you're doing and, and just kind of promote yourself. Yeah, no, I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, my Twitter is dmurrayhoops. Over the in the month of July, I will probably be home tentatively right now. It is four days, oh, which wow. my wife with our new baby is not thrilled about. So <laughs> hopefully she doesn't listen to this and find out too soon. Uh, but I'll be Peach Jam, Adidas, Under Armour. Uh, I'll see some independent stuff in Atlanta, NBA Academy games. Um, I'll be all over the place. Summer League for a couple. Got some meetings out there, which is always fun. I would encourage any listener who can go out to Summer League, even if it's for a day. Don't even get a hotel. Fly in at 6 a.m., fly out at 11 p.m., just go. It's a fun time. Um, but no, it's, it's good. I'll be on the road a lot. Just coverage from big-time high school stuff all the way to the draft. So, at our at our company, we're already looking at the twenty five drafts, trying to make sure we got our boards ready for that. Try to stay two ahead, so stay nice. busy. But again, I appreciate you guys having me very very much. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Bada bing, bada boom. That is it. The draft coverage is completely over, ladies and gentlemen. Take a deep breath. We're going to cover Summer League, but it'll be a totally different thing than talking drafts. So hope you guys have enjoyed the draft coverage from setting the pace so far this month of June. But Fachi, any final thoughts on what we heard from Derek? No, I think just got me really excited about the fits for the Pacers. I think that Derek made it known, look, these are two guys the Pacers were very, very high on for quite some time. They got who they wanted. They know exactly what they're looking for in these two players. And it makes me feel confident in these picks. But yeah, like you mentioned, man, we covered this draft from one end to, to the, the next. And it just felt like a lot of coverage happening this month. I'm excited to talk about some of the more established players that could be coming to this team in the coming weeks. And just like you mentioned, Summer League, which is right around the corner. Absolutely. I thought that his talk about Leonard Miller maybe being a little bit of a, you know, a redundant pick there, already taking Jairus, thought that was very interesting that he said that. I'm surprised you didn't bring up his love for Oscar Shibway, Flachi. This is your guy. I mean, you light up like a little kid at the candy store when you hear the name Oscar Shibway on this podcast. Like, I just see the glow in your eye. You're like, my God, this is my guy, Oscar Shibway, former West Virginia player. So, you know, and then he started talking about Javon Carter, and, like, you just totally ignored what he said about Isaiah Wong, and you're like, oh, I love Javon Carter. I'm like, oh, God, I love where him. Is where is he going? Talk about Isaiah Wong, because what he said about Isaiah Wong was really exciting, too. So, uh, but Oscar Shibway, him, like, Derek said that he probably would have taken Oscar in, like, the early 30s. I thought that was a little, 
a little bold move. It was, yeah, but know. I mean, yeah, hey, Oscar's a competitor. Oh yeah. Uh, Oscar the Grouch, I don't know what his nickname is, but we'll have to come up with something. I'm excited to see what he does in Summer League. Like I said, I just I have a feeling like him and Isaiah Jackson could have some really fun battles in Summer League practice, but I think Oscar might play himself on the court longer and and get more minutes at at certain points in this this Summer League. I I really do because I just feel like that rebounding skill set is such a major need for the Pacers, and it's just he does it at an elite level when other guys, you know, are inconsistent from a rebounding perspective perspective and oscar someone who does not need the ball at any times doesn't need it at all he could give you i'm not gonna say you know i'm not gonna it feels weird even throwing like a dennis rodman name out there but i'm talking about a type of stat line where it could be zero to four points and then 10 to 15 rebounds and that that's fine for him he doesn't need touches he's going to do the dirty work on the glass and i think summer league is going to be that first exposure to be like well this guy's working really hard and Mm -hmm. especially being on that two-way deal that's when you're working even harder because you want the big bucks you want to make the team and that's just one of those battles Isaiah Jackson Oscar Shibwe I'm really really looking to see and a few other ones that obviously are very exciting to me yeah so just enjoy this last podcast on the draft coverage hope you did we'll get back to it probably Sunday at some point to talk about what happened for free agency. If there's an emergency that we need to talk about something, then we will try our best to appease you guys and get an episode out as soon as possible. Be at a wedding on Saturday with my cousin. I probably won't be able to record Sunday or Saturday unless it's like super late. Maybe if there's something that happens Friday night, I could do something, but I uh, don't want to promise anything. We'll definitely have one out there Sunday for you, but I want to thank everybody so much for the support, all the ratings and reviews we've gotten recently. It's just been an awesome way to, hear back from our fans and get that good positive feedback because we've been trying to give you guys as much as we can. But with that being said, Fachi, go ahead and let the people know where they can find us at on social media. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F a C C A. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers talk. You can find us on Facebook at setting the pace. You can find us on TikTok at setting the pace and Alex tell them where they could check us out on YouTube. Well, ladies and gentlemen, go to youtube.com slash setting the pace of Pacers podcast. We can find all of our video content out there. Subscribe, leave a like, leave a comment, let us know what you think. And once again, if you haven't already, leave us a five-star rating review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast because any reviews are great reviews for us as long as they're positive. So, Bachi, if you're excited to see Isaiah Wong light it up for the Indiana Pacers Summer League team in the next couple of weeks, then hit me with those three words. Let's go Pacers! Going to the top, setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast, sweeping every team. We gon' need a mop, smooth. Mm-hmm.